0: Last week, we began a new study, and uh, this study is actually called, I've, I've called it the end of the age, the coming of the Messiah and the rest of God. And we began to learn a little bit about eschatology, looking at the fundamental building blocks, if you will. In other words, what I'm referring to is the fact that there are two ages, very distinct and opposite from one another. Not, there's not one age. There's not three ages. God has created two specific ages for his creation for all mankind to experience. Now, obviously, uh, for most of you, or I'm going to assume, uh, this component uh, is pretty elementary, right, that, there, that there's two ages. But I do not want you to make the mistake to underestimate the importance that you understand the reality of these two ages and how important it is that they can affect. I'm going to tell you something right now. When you go to frame, when you go to build your eschatological belief system, if you do so without a firm foundation, without a solid foundation, you're going to stick prophecy on top of prophecy and prophecy on top of prophecy. And What's going to happen? It's going to start to wobble and it's going to fail. It will fall if you do not have Good foundations, there will be gaps you will you will uh, look at things incorrectly. there will be contradictions in your eschatology. you'll be going to other places of scripture it, w- it will seem to not make sense. All of this is the product if you don't get your foundation solid. This is what's going to happen. Let me give you an example of this. I mean, how many of you have heard of the rapture theory? the rapture theory anybody just a couple uh, okay just making sure you're alive (laughs) the rapture theory i'm going to tell you right up front there is a lot of truth in the theory itself there's a lot of biblical truth that is portrayed accurately even i mean you look at this picture i'm okay with this picture this is an accurate portrayal the dead are going to rise This is Yom Teruah, the dead. The graves are going to be ripped open and the souls of men are going to go to meet the Lord in the air. This is what's going to happen. This is powerful. Don't have a problem with that, but isn't it fascinating that the most prominent aspects of the teaching of the rapture theory, the most prominent aspects are the ones that aren't biblically sound. For example, the whole ideology of a pre-trib rapture. I mean, Most people that subscribe to the rapture theory subscribe to the ideology. There is going to be a pre-trib. And they're not going to experience any tribulation. Uh, People are just going to disappear uh, from the face of the earth. And uh, I was listening uh, just, I think, last night with my wife. It was funny. Jonathan Kahn made a funny. And uh, if you don't know, he's he's a Messianic Jewish rabbi. Very, very powerful harbinger, the whole deal. And he was asked... Where do you stand on the rapture? And he says, well, I'm a pan-tribber. And they're like, pan-trib? Never heard that. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. This is where people fall up. And Jonathan responds, it's all going to pan out. <laughs> brilliant. He, I had to share, the guy's brilliant. That was just a brilliant response. It's all going to pan out. It was just funny. Well, then you also have... Other eschatologies that are being framed, such as the greater exodus. This is kind of the Hebrew roots version of evangelical rapture theory. And not everybody in the Messianic movement is subscribing to this, but there are teachers out there teaching something known as the greater exodus. Now, with all due respect, do I believe in a greater exodus? Oh, you bet I do. I believe in the second coming of the Messiah. But it's interesting that the most predominant characteristics that are being taught are not biblically sound and it all comes down this is what i'm telling you it all comes down the firm foundation that solid foundation that should have been laid where the people should have had understanding proceeding and then building up from there was not laid and that's how these things start to develop and it can be very very dangerous and like i mentioned last week it can affect people's faith it can be a cause for stumbling. And no lie is of the truth, according to John, all right? Now, with that said, biblical prophecy, that doesn't mean that you get to figure everything out, you'll know everything. In fact, in general, the prophecies are to be known, to be studied, and then when they happen, then you know. God spoke. This happened. Now we understand. Well, what I want to do with that little introduction, I want to open up today by circling back to last week, and I want to talk about The building blocks, the two ages, just briefly. If you remember, last week we got to see that the first age, we went to the Apocrypha, and we got to see that the first age, the age that we're into today, was characterized by the character Esau. He's representative of Esau. Well, what do we know about Esau? In the story, you got Jacob and Esau. What do we know about Esau? He came out of the womb first, he was the first to be born. What does that tell you? When he is representative of an age, what does it tell you? He would be the first age. And what would be the age to follow? It would literally be hanging on to his heel. We will move from one age of the Esau to the age of Israel, the age of Jacob. The second thing we're told about Esau, which is important to point out, he would be subservient to Jacob. In other words, the age that is coming is going to prevail the age we are in today. It is going to be more powerful. It is an age of promise. It is an age of blessing. This is an age of curse. This is an age of iniquity. So keep this, you look at this, let me take this a step further. I want to take it to Malachi 1.1, and I want to show you how the Lord views Jacob and Esau. And it's going to give us a little further backdrop in regard to what the Lord thinks of this age. In Malachi 1.1, we read, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. How does the Lord view Jacob and Esau? Very differently, right? He loves Jacob. He loves Israel. And he hates Esau. You've got to understand, there's a deep spiritual connotation here in regard to the righteous, represented through Jacob, and the wicked, represented through Esau. There's a deep spiritual connotation placed upon this in regard to the ages. The age of Esau and the age of Jacob. The Lord hates This age. He hates this age. It is an age of iniquity. He hates all workers of iniquity. Look at this, Psalm 5, 5. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. Understand, Esau was a worker of iniquity. He was lawless in nature. And so is this age. This age belongs to the lawless. This is not our home. But guess what? To the lawless, to the wicked, this is their kingdom. This is where they stand. They are establishing their kingdom in this age. We cannot because there's nothing here for us and there's going to be nothing left of the age of Esau. There will be only the age of Israel, that age of blessing, of promise. There is good news for us Amen. There's good news for us who call upon the name of Yeshua and who keep his commandments. He will take us out of here. Now, understanding these basic, this, this basic building blocks of, of having two different ages, it is going to help you, it is going to help us as we continue in this study, develop an accurate understanding of biblical eschatology. A huge component is understanding where you're at. In the, in the times. So with that said, I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 24. We began that. We'll spend the rest of it today in Matthew 24. But I want to go and reread verse 3. And this is what it says. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, speaking of Yeshua, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. This is what they wanted to know. This is the cares and concerns of the Jewish apostles in the first century. They want to know, when is the age going to end? When are you coming back? Right? Now, you'll notice, if you've ever read Matthew 24, you know that Yeshua doesn't respond by just saying, mind your own business. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you. We are actually sitting in one of the most unique parts in all of Scripture. When you come to Matthew 24, and, and let me say this: all the parts of Scripture are unique in and of themselves, and it's just, it, it all works beautifully, cohesively together, and there isn't necessarily one part better than another part, but this is unique above all else. Rarely do you find the people of God asking their God, When are you going to come back? What is the sign going to be? When are you going to return? Rarely do you find that situation where they get in a response right then. Just a flat out response. Yeshua doesn't tell them, never mind. He actually, as we're going to see, he goes on to answer their questions. You guys want to understand about the signs of the times? Do you want to know where you're at? You're going to want to pay very, very close attention to today's message because Yeshua is telling us. So let's continue. Let's look at how Yeshua answers this question. And we read in the very next verse. And Yeshua answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Okay, He answers. And I, this is his answer. The first thing that receives a head at the table. The preeminence. His con- caring concern. Yeshua's caring concern above all else before he starts talking about the sun, moons, and stars. Before he even goes and gets into that sign. There's one thing he lays out that he's concerned above all else. Take heed that no one deceives you. What does this tell you about prior to the coming of Yeshua that is going to be prevalent? Deception. And when Yeshua responds, this is the first thing He says, well, you better take heed. You better hear these words. Take heed, no one deceives you. Why? Many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ. And what will they do? They will deceive many. Many. Ponder that for a second. He is telling us, prior to his coming, something's going to happen. Men are going to rise up, and they're going to go out proclaiming, I am Jesus. I am the Christ. And it doesn't just say that they'll deceive some. They're going to deceive many. Now, you start to think about things like this, and it makes you ponder of all the people in history. There have been Jewish rabbis that have been deemed the Messiah. Uh, There's uh, Shimon Bar Kokhba. Was, was called the Messiah. Who said, this is the Messiah. This is the deliverer of Israel. He fought awesome battles uh, by Rabbi Akiva, deemed him the Messiah. You think in more modern times of guys like uh, David Koresh, who, I mean, if you ever read this guy's transcripts, I mean, he thought he could open up the seven seals. He was the one to open the seven seals. He thinks he's the Lamb of God. It's bonkers. Did he have followers? Yes. Not a whole lot. And it gets you thinking. It gets you thinking with guys like David Koresh. They go and they get a few followers, but most, most of Christianity writes these people off. They're being kooks. They're totally kooks. And you stay away. Yeah, they make it 15, 20 people. Doesn't really affect the faith. Understand something. What Yeshua is talking about here is bigger than people like David Koresh. Goes way Way beyond that. And what am I referring to? I want you to think about the papal seat for a second. I want you to think about the chair and the men, that, the men that have sat in the chair and the things that they have said. Let me take you to, right here I have a catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's kind of their, their Christian uh, version of the Talmud, if you will. Uh, where it, it helps explain the faith to them, gives them deeper understanding how to walk it out, why they do the things that they do, why they believe what they believe, all that good stuff. Within the catechism, I want to read to you something. This is really going to hit home to what Yeshua is saying here, that many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. This is what it says, the Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor, is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity, both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office, as vicar of Christ, manifest of Christ, and as a pastor of the entire church, has full supreme and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Now, if that sounds impressive, wait till you read the following. The Roman pontiff, head of the College of Bishops, enjoys this infallibility, infallibility in virtue of his office, when as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful, who confirms his brethren in the faith, he proclaims by a definitive act a doctrine pertaining to faith and morals. I want you to appreciate what was just said. When he sits in his chair, when he speaks, if you will, ex cathedra, what happens? He is infallible. He is Christ. This is what's being said. Any question to this, and I could spend the next months, next couple months showing you example after example. Let me show you some examples of how the Pope understood this chair and what they believed. The Pope and God are the same. So he has all the power in heaven and earth. Don't be confused about their understanding of the chair that they have decided to sit in. The Pope and God are the same. He has all the power in heaven and earth. Let me show you Pope Pius IX. This is what he said. I alone am the successor of the apostles, the vicar of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what he just said. There's not a man on this earth, I'm telling you, that can make that statement. And it's so funny. They talk about Peter's being Peter's successor. Show me where Peter said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He never said it. it. doesn't come out of his mouth. If that wasn't alarming enough, let me show you one more. The Pope is not simply the representative of Jesus Christ. On the contrary, he is Jesus Christ himself. Under the veil of flesh, does the Pope speak? It is Jesus Christ who is speaking. Hence, when anyone speaks of the Pope, it is not necessary to examine, but to obey. Not necessary to examine, but obey. Very different than what my word tells me. Test the spirits. For many false prophets have gone out. And they are deceiving many. When you think of this statement that Yeshua makes here, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many, stand back in awe. Because right now, millions are being carried away by deception. And giving allegiance to the Pope over Yeshua, over his word. That's how real it is. And oh yeah, just as a reminder, what did Yeshua say? This is one of the signs that's coming before his coming. This is one of the things to be looking for as a sign. Showing he's coming back. Are we living in this right now? Are we experiencing this? He goes on to say in verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Isn't it fascinating? One of the things Yeshua says, prior to his coming, one of the things to look for is there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. And this is on a very intense level. This isn't talking about a little scuffle somewhere in a remote area of Africa. This is talking about globally. A global eruption that's happening. And isn't that interesting? In modern day times, what do we call these wars of recent times? World War One. World War II. And right now, when you look at things, we are at the brink of World War III. You have all these countries mounting for war right now. Here's the thing about Bible prophecy that is really, it it just is amazing. All the prophecies that we're reading about and the signs of the time that are going to happen right prior to Yeshua's coming, they're all converging. They are all converging together. Some people might say, well, Daniel, there's always been war in the earth. Agree. But not what Yeshua is addressing. Not to the degree of what Yeshua is addressing in Matthew 24. Not to the degree of what the Apocrypha describes. At all. We are dealing with something, an anomaly, something unique. Right now, this is what's happening. But here's what I want you to focus on. And this is Yeshua draws attention to this: See that you are not troubled. He tells us these things so that when we look at them, they don't trouble us. We don't create with fear. Fear is not allowed in us. He has not given us a spirit of fear but of power of love and a sound mind. We know where we're going. Do you really believe that? You know I think about. If I may use the analogy, and it's just a simple, basic analogy, but I'll call it my ice cream analogy. If I were to tell my little girls, specifically my two older ones, uh, just sitting at the table, you girls, you got to go up and clean your room. How do you think they respond? They don't respond well. They don't want to clean the room. I want to go outside. They don't want to do it. They'll put up a big stink. But if dad says, here's the deal. I will take you out for ice cream. We'll go to Cold Stone afterwards. Go clean your room. Do you understand something that they hated and loathed? They will go up and it will not affect them at all because all they can think about is the end. All they can think about is the ice cream. That's what you need to do. Your daddy's going to give you ice cream. Just think about the reality is we can get through this. There's a reason he says, see that you are not troubled. We have something to look for. And when you have something that you truly believe. See, like my daughters, they don't doubt. Daddy said he's going to take us to Cold Stone. He's going to take us to Cold Stone. He's going to take us and get us ice cream. If our daddy said he's going to carry us away, he's going to take us away. He's going to wipe away every tear from his eye. If you believe that, the things we are about to embark on today aren't going to seem like anything. Because your eye is on the prize. The vertical faith. That vertical faith of, of looking up. This is where we need to be. Everybody's getting so caught up and, and it just like sucks you in. Fear, fear, fear. All these things are happening. Well, why are we not talking about what should be happening in us with our relationship with Yeshua? Or what's happening in here with the Spirit moving? Why are we not concerned about all the things, the beautiful uh, things that the Lord is speaking in His Word? What consumes us? Is it the cares and concerns of today? Today? Or is it his word? Is it the Messiah Yeshua? You start thinking about these things and it's scary because it starts to reveal where your heart is at. Moving on to verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. You think about this, and I had multiple ones, but I'll just show you one. Here's a graph of the earthquakes. Did you, you notice a trend It is skyrocketing. In fact, this only goes to 2003. You go to 2015, it spikes straight up. It literally is spiking straight in the air. You you talk about people that are following weather patterns, and they're freaking out. Something is happening. Well, when you're familiar with the Apocrypha, the Apocrypha talks about the earth as a womb. It talks about it as a womb, and as a womb that's in birth pains. And what happens when the contractions get closer? When the earth knows it's about to give birth to what? The resurrection of the dead. This is crazy. The earth is moving. The earth is speaking. The earth is bewailing in labor pains. Let me take you back to the Apocrypha. I want to build on this. Nation rising against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Because what this said, when Ezra, he's looking, he wants to know about the end of the age. He's asking the Lord, show it to me. What are going to be the signs? He's asking the same question that the apostles asked Yeshua. Well, let's look at this. Second Esther 13, verse 29. The days are coming when the Most High will deliver those who are on the earth, us. Those who confess Yeshua, the, the elect of God, he's going to deliver us. And bewilderment of mind shall come over those who inhabit the earth. They shall plan to make war against one another, city against city, place against place, people against people, kingdom against kingdom. When these things take place and the signs occur, these are the signs, the very signs Yeshua is talking about in Matthew 24. When these signs occurred that I showed you before, then my son will be revealed whom you saw as a man coming up from the sea. Do you know how close we are to the Lord's return? I mean, this is powerful. Jumping back to chapter 9, verse 1, in asterisk. He answered me and said, measure carefully in your mind, and when you see that a certain part of the predicted signs have occurred, see, pay attention to the signs. When you see these things have occurred, then you know that it is the very time when the Most High is about to visit the world which He has made. So when there shall appear in the world earthquakes. There's always been earthquakes going back. We read about earthquakes in the Bible. It's talking about it at a massive level. It's talking about it on a global level that nobody can refute, that nobody can look away from. It's not saying, it's not happening. Earthquakes lost my place. (laughs) Buffering. So when there shall appear in the world earthquakes, tumult of peoples, intrigues of nations, wavering of leaders, confusion of princes, moving on to verse 4, Then you will know that it was of these that the Most High spoke from the days that were of old, from the beginning. For just as with everything that has occurred in the world, the beginning is evident and the end manifest. So also are the times of the Most High. The beginnings are manifested in wonders and mighty works. You think about creation. What was it? It was a wonder. Everything that he created was a wonder. It was a mighty work, right? But the end in requital and in signs. In other words, require you're going to receive your just due. Payment for the iniquity, payment for this age of Esau is coming, and it will be in signs. And it's fascinating. You read these passages in the Apocrypha, they're saying you could throw them right on top of Matthew 24. They're saying the exact same thing. The question is can you read the signs? Can you read the signs? Now, as we continue in Matthew 24 we're going to discover that Yeshua is going to isolate these signs that we went through. He's going to isolate these particular signs in regard to a timeline, in regard to the last days. Going back to verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Look around you, it's happening. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. It's interesting. A lot of translations do a little bit better job at translating sorrows into birth pains. In the Greek, it's odin. It literally means birth pains. The very thing that the Apocrypha describes this world as a womb. A womb of a mother that goes into birth pains, that goes into travail. And what does he say? When we see the things we are seeing today, Russia testing United States America uh, USA's uh, airspace, we have China getting subs going past our our the, the, the borders, the United States borders, and this is happening all over the world with different countries. United States are flying drones into different countries. I mean, all of this is happening. The world is mounting for war. We're looking at this, and Yeshua says, "It's the beginning. You have entered." You are entering into tribulation, into the birth pains of the Messiah, or into what is commonly called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's fascinating when you step back and you look at the world right now, persecution is on the rise at an exponential rate against all those who call upon the name of Yeshua. They're literally being tortured, they're being beheaded. For his name's sake, but not just that. And we have the signs, all the different signs converging with this, such as Israel and the fact that Israel's enemies are starting to encompass around her. The nations are gathering around her because it's the beginning of Jacob's trouble. You've been listening to the rhetoric lately that's going from Iran and even from the UN and other countries in regard. To Israel, of extinguishing, that they're not even going to be a nation in twenty-five years? We'll see about that. We'll see about that. We'll see who's right. Let me take you to Jeremiah 30. I want to show you the time of biblical prophecy, the time of Jacob's trouble. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. I ask you, where are the Jewish people today? They've been brought back to the land. They're inhabiting the land. Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Verse 5. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace, Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But here's the good news. He shall be saved out of it. That's the ice cream, right? Keep Your eye on this. This is the promise. Israel, despite everything she's going through, she has reason to rejoice. Because in the end, it's in their favor. In the end, they will triumph. In the end, they will rise up. Their God is able to make them stand. Amen? You know, if if we're honest with ourselves and we look at what Yeshua describes as the beginning of tribulation, you need to be honest. You need to... Swallow the pill that we are entering into tribulation according to Scripture, according to the Bible. Going back to Matthew, verse 9, we're going to continue to look at signs. Look at the signs that, that, are, that are going to start unfolding. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Think ice cream. <laughs> and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. We're told that in the last days, one of the signs we need to be looking for is the fact that the entire world is going to hate a specific group of people. They're going to loathe this particular group of people to such an extent that they're going to kill them. What is it about this particular group? What characteristic do they carry that breeds such hatred? Well, Yeshua tells us. Look at what he says. You shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The entire world is going to come against those who bear the name of Yeshua. That's what's going to happen. And let me ask you a question. What is it about his name that they are going to hate, that they are going to loathe? Do they not like the name Jesus? Does it not sound right? Does does Yeshua, it it just doesn't sound good. It's offensive just to hear that. Are they offended? Are people of the world, think about this, are people of the world offended by all the miracles that Yeshua performed? I mean, healing the sick, raising the dead? Is that what is drawing this hatred? Is that the hatred that fills up within them? Is the fact that he showed kindness and compassion and love for people, Is is that what wells up this hatred inside of them to the extent they're willing to kill believers in Yeshua? Let me tell you exactly why we are going to be hated for his name's sake. And I'm going to use Yeshua's own words going to John chapter 7 verse 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Now I want to be very clear. Yeshua just told us the world will hate you. Actually, when you go on in John, he actually says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So I want you to understand the statement when he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. In other words, the world will not hate you apart from him. We're told scripturally, the world loves its own. So apart from him, you will not be hated. Okay? But this is the reason. Pay close attention, because this is really going to open your eyes. Because I testify of it that its works are evil. That's where the hatred will come out. And you're seeing it right now, today. You are seeing the hatred being fueled by people who would dare have the audacity to stand up for righteousness. People that bear the light of Yeshua within them, when they go out, that's what they do. They bear light. And the darkness hates it. It will not dwell with the light. Look at what Yeshua says in John chapter 3. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Monumental sign of the times. Monumental sign of the times that people will no longer tolerate righteousness. They will no longer tolerate it. I ask you, look around. Do you think that we are embarking on the tribulation? Because this is one of the main signs that they will no longer tolerate it. Isn't it interesting that governments all over the world, not just America, all over the world are promoting abortions. They're making their citizens fund these things. Embracing homosexuality. Making it law. That man can marry a man. A woman can marry a woman. The wicked are done with us. We are living in the age of Esau. They are done with us. Shea goes on to say in Matthew 24, verse 10, And then many will be offended. yes. We'll betray one another and hate one another. It's interesting. There's a parallel passage. Yeshua, what he's saying here is exactly what it says in Matthew chapter 10. But in Matthew chapter 10, it shows you how close to home it hits because he starts talking about a father betraying a son and vice versa and a mother or her daughter where the division is coming in all over the name of Yeshua. This is how intimate it gets. This is how painful it gets. They will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So, as you embark in this tribulation, what are we to be looking for? False prophets. They're going to rise up. Now, keep in mind, from this perspective, you've got to understand this. They're not talking about uh, uh, pagans embracing whatever, going out and and teaching evolution and this, that, the other. They're talking about men that confess the name of Yeshua. They're talking about men that confess Jesus as Lord. And he says, many of them are going to rise, and they're going to deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, because he who endures to the end, but he who endures to the end will be saved. There's something mentioned here in this passage. One thing in particular that I want you to focus on, it's, it's not the fact that uh, homes are going to be divided and there's going to be uh, offense from one to another. It's not the fact that there, there are false prophets rising up, deceiving many. Instrumental, important, yes. It's the fact that this, that lawlessness will abound. One of the most significant signs of the time, and, it's, and it works in tandem with what we were just talking about, of being hated, The most significant signs of the times is right here. This is the proof that we are at the very end of the age, is when lawlessness abounds. Do you know what that means when it abounds? It's out of control. It can't be contained. I ask you, are we living in a society, are we living in a world that evil cannot be contained? I'm going to tell you, yes, we are. We are living right now in a world where evil is not being contained. It's running amok. So much so, it's breached the walls of the church. Or you have churches, like I said, celebrating and rejoicing that they did away with the law of God. That they're Messiah. They've thrown out the law. And when you throw out the law, you walk in lawlessness. You embrace it. Things are so chaotic and so out of control. This is what has happened. Uh... The signs of the times are here. We are entering into the tribulation. Everything in Scripture is showing us this. All these signs, they are all present right now. You can't not say, no, we're not entering into the tribulation. All these signs are converging. We're living it. You are living Scripture today. It makes you want to pinch yourself. This can't be real. Because we're so used to just reading this as a good book, good morals, good righteousness, not as a book that I'd actually be living through. Very different uh, the way I've been reading the Bible lately. Uh, Scary and exciting all at the same time. I want to jump ahead to verse 37. We're going to build upon this concept of lawlessness even further. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Interesting that Yeshua, he brings us back to the days of Noah. See, apparently Noah, the story of Noah, is a prophetic template of this age, and specifically a time that uh, comes right before the return of the Lord. This is, this, you think about the days of Noah, we all know what happened, right? But you think about that, he brings you back to the days of Noah. There was something happening in these days there was a sign that yeshua is merely building upon what we just read let me take you back there and show you what yeshua is referring to in genesis 6 1 now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of god saw the daughters of men now let me be very clear the sons of god is is a reference to the angels. A particular group of angels, according to the the book of Enoch, which fills in a lot of gaps, it was about 200, okay? It was about 200 angels. They made an oath together. They took an oath, all right? These sons of God, they saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. This is so deep there's so much here we're not going to cover it today maybe 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 we'll dig into it uh in the coming weeks there's some scary and amazing prophetic parallels that exist between this uh, what is spoken of here and what has happened again and uh we'll probably get into that but it, you know the, the backdrop here it's so amazing that the angels just give it kind of give you a little backdrop if you read the book of enoch The angels, we we, we always think, oh, the angels came down, they were looking and lusting after women, and they just fell into lust. What people fail to realize when you actually read the book of Enoch, it's way beyond that. The angels wanted something. The angels wanted something very, very specific. And when you read it, they wanted children. They wanted what God has given mankind. He has blessed mankind with the ability to, have a heritage and the angels wanted it that's what they wanted they wanted to bear children and if you look at how God cursed them uh, in the days of Noah uh, one of the things they were forced to do was watch the destruction of their children this is one of the things well there's a significant parallel again we won't get into that but I just give you some backdrop here the angels come down it wasn't and as they come down Attempting to build a heritage for themselves, they start doing stuff. And this will come into play in the weeks to come. So listen to me carefully. They start perverting truth, these fallen angels. They start teaching mankind charms and enchantments. They start teaching them the art of war, making swords and knives and shields. So when they came down, it wasn't just that they wanted they it. The way we experience these fallen angels, the way mankind experienced it, goes way beyond just them getting a heritage of children for themselves. They were perverters of truth. And it infected the world. This infectious sin just infected and kept infecting it. And it spread like a cancer. Continuing on. In Genesis 6-3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 127 years. Or 120 years, rather. Uh, There were giants. And in the Hebrew, this is the famous term, Nephilim. There were Nephilim on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore uh, children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So here you have this whole backdrop, okay? Now we continue on, listen carefully. Then the Lord said that uh, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So get this straight. The state of the world, right before God rendered judgment upon it, it was in a total state of, of lawlessness. Lawlessness reigned. Righteousness was all but vanished. The light was being snuffed out. Well, you start reading what happens in Revelation. What does Hasatan go out and do? He starts snuffing out the light. They start casting us, if you will, out of their kingdom. We're being cast out. of The darkness can't handle the light. They cast us out of this kingdom by killing us. That's fine because we have another kingdom waiting. Think about that. If it ever comes time where there are going to be pockets of insulation, we're told from Scripture that people will, there will still be believers here alive at the coming of the Lord. But if you're not one of them, don't worry about it because you're actually going to get resurrected first. To meet the Lord in the air. How does the Lord respond? And this is important. When we go back to the days of Noah, so uh, as far as my coming goes, so as far as the days of Noah, were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, well, we know the days of Noah are total lawlessness, you can, it's unbridled sin. The very days we're living in now, but how does the Lord respond? This is how he responds in Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. The Lord comes to a point where he can't handle it anymore, where he becomes regretful. And when you see the Lord do this, and we talked about this in the story of Saul, what did he say? I've regretted that I have set Saul up as king. When the Lord utters those words, look for judgment because it's coming. It comes to a point where he can't take it any longer. And that's when the pin is pulled. Let me take you to, back to the Apocrypha. Because it, it actually expounds on what is happening here in Genesis and it's going to give you a little deeper perspective of this interaction between God and Noah. And look at what this says. 2nd Esther 5, verse 1. Now concerning the signs, the days are coming when those who inhabit the earth shall be seized with great terror, and the way of truth shall be hidden, and the land shall be barren of faith. Now you've got to see, now, I think I might have said the days of Noah, but... Second, stress is referring to the very, very end of the age, the days we're living in the today. And the comparison here between getting perspective to what's going on in the days of Noah, and what is said here in regard to the end days. Did you notice? It says the way of truth shall be hidden. It's going to be totally hidden. Fascinating, when you start thinking about all the biblical stories, such as the, the, the story of the Maccabees, the story of Antiochus Epiphanes, you read Daniel 8, that prophecy outlines what Antiochus did. And what does it say? He shall cast truth to the ground. See, the expectation that we should have as believers of knowing what's going to happen is the world is going to cast truth to the ground. And the way of truth, as it says here will be hidden. The land is going to be barren of faith. Unrighteousness, we continue on in verse uh, 2, unrighteousness shall be increased beyond what you yourself see and beyond what you heard of formally. So these are the signs that you know you're in entering into tribulation. People, when the body parts of murdered children are being sold on the black market, I don't know what is really going to constitute for you tribulation and lawlessness to where things that we are doing today would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. I've never, things like this were never even talked about in regard to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's unbelievable. And yet these are the days we're living in. This is why I'm impressing upon you. This is why I'm making bold statements like, I know from the signs we have entered into tribulation. The coming of the Lord is at hand. I can't say anything else. It's true. Going back to Genesis, continuing on in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, Hamas, the worst form. I mean, this is the vilest sin, uncontrolled sin, total violence. As I ask you, is the earth filled with violence? I mean, we have groups like ISIS running around, unbridled, burning men alive, chopping people's heads off, sticking them on stakes. You, you, just, you can't even believe it. It just doesn't even sound real. It's so evil. There's such evil in this world right now. That's because Yeshua's coming back. That's because Yeshua's coming back. He's almost here. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with Hamas. Through them, And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. That is fascinating to me. Because what he just said is a parallel statement to what Yeshua told his disciples. See, he recognized sin is coming... Sin is going to be unbridled. These are the signs of the times. But here's what you do. That's exactly what God did to Noah. God says, it's uncontrolled. The sin's uncontrolled. You need to make an ark. In other words, listen to me. Listen to the words of my mouth. Listen to the commandment. And you will live. (laughs) Read the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, Yeshua is reiterating that over and over again. Then the apostles go on reiterating that over and over again. Listen to Yeshua, and you will live. Listen to him. Now, going to the book of Enoch, Enoch does articulate this scenario of what's going on here. And listen to what he says, this whole thing where God tells Noah, it's time to build an ark. I want you to show, I want to to give you deeper perspective on what God was conveying. Enoch 10.1, Then said the Most High the holy and great one spake and sent Uriel to the son of Lemech and said to him go to Noah and tell him in my name hide thyself isn't that fascinating see one of the things god was communicating to him when he gave him the commandments you should go build the ark what was the whole premise you need to go hide yourself noah as the world was embracing lawlessness and sin What was Noah doing? He was obeying God. He was obeying the commandments of God. He was preparing for salvation. He was preparing for redemption. He was hiding himself. Isn't that fascinating? Because last week I quoted that proverb. That proverb says, A prudent man foresees evil, and he hides himself. Are you actually seeing the evil in the world and have you withdrawn from it? Or are you still compromising and tasting the world, because it tastes good. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not pulling to Noah, if you're not hiding yourself from lawlessness, if you're not foreseeing evil and hiding yourself, you are in trouble. It is time to hide yourself. Now it goes on to say, listen to this, hide thyself, and then it goes on, and reveal to him, meaning reveal to Noah, the end that is approaching, that the whole earth will be destroyed. Noah, as he was building his ark, did so with the understanding that the Lord is coming with destruction. I ask you, read Matthew 24. Did not Yeshua, does does he not do the same? Does he not tell us what is coming? Destruction is coming, judgment is coming. The things that the apostles taught, what did they teach? When they went out, and we forget this, part of the gospel message is judgment is coming. A perfect example is Paul speaking to a high-ranking official of the Roman province, uh, Acts 24, verse 25. Now, as Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and what? The judgment to come. Felix, he was a governor, was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I uh, uh, I will call you. I want to be able to convey the gospel message where I'm getting a response like this. This guy was struck to the heart. He was trembling in fear. The way Paul articulated the end, the necessity for righteousness, the necessity for Yeshua, he did so in such a manner, this guy couldn't hear it anymore. It freaked him out. That's spreading the gospel in power. His words hit the mark. They hit him. He had to deal with, and we don't know how Felix in in the end ultimately went, but... He had to now deal with that. This is the boldness that we have got to have in these end times. It's the boldness to speak righteousness. I'm going to close today taking you back to Luke. I'm going to take you to Luke, which it's the parallel to what Yeshua is going through in Matthew 24. Only something else, Yeshua adds something else to it. And it was, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I mean, it's going to come like that. I'm telling you, if we're entering into tribulation, as I suspect we are, and Scripture tells me and everything in my environment tells me we are, the coming of the Lord is going to come just as it's said over and over and over again, as a thief in the night. That's how it's going to come, as a thief in the night, just like it came upon the inhabitants of the earth in the days of Noah. But then listen to this. See, Matthew doesn't record this part. He goes on, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built... But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Two things to note. You look at the days of Noah. You look at the days of Lot. What do we know about both circumstances that led to the judgment? Both had unbridled sin. They were reveling in lawlessness. And now look at us. This is where we're at today.